0: Hey, podcast listeners, this one's for you and your fur baby. Take a second and imagine not having to worry about fleas, ticks, and mosquitoes, and feeling great knowing you don't have to use conventional pills or spot drops with questionable ingredients. Wonderside makes it possible with their flea and tick spray for dogs and cats. Lab tests prove it kills and repels fleas and ticks, and because it's plant-based, you don't have to worry about using it around kids and family. Did I mention it smells amazing? Try it for 20% off at Wonderside.com slash podcast with coupon code podcast. That's Wonderside with a C. When a serial stalker terrorized multiple families with young daughters earlier this year, a Northeast Portland neighborhood did what the Portland police couldn't. They banded together and tracked down a suspect, who was ultimately arrested on a warrant for a previous charge. I'm Andrew Thien, and this is Beat Check with the Oregonian. Up next, reporter Maxine Bernstein talks about her story highlighting what's become a worrisome trend in 2020. Portland police not responding to reported crimes or when they do respond, it's often after an interminable delay. We talked about why response times are so long, why there are so few detectives on the force these days, and how the Bureau is still in reaction mode in so many ways. Max talked about the Bureau's staffing and retirement crisis, leadership turnover, and much more. Here's our conversation. Max Bernstein, thanks so much for taking time to talk today.
1: Sure, thank you.
0: You had a really interesting story about uh, a pretty unbelievable tale of, of uh, a stalking and community uh, tracking down this suspect in North Tabor and uh, Northeast Portland neighborhoods. How did you get onto this story?
1: It was actually uh, our fellow colleague, video producer Samantha Swindler, who noticed a Facebook post by a resident in that neighborhood and yeah. uh, sent it to me and alerted me to it. And then turn uh, turned out that Facebook post was written by uh, Troy Howard, who is the father of the 13-year-old girl who um, had a stranger enter her bedroom in the middle of the night in March. So um, through that t- social media post that a Samantha found I just followed up on that, and that's how I learned about it. Uh,
0: this story um, really is pretty in depth and has a lot of ins and outs that are kind of just dramatic. I was wondering if you could describe uh, for people who haven't read it just what exactly happened and um and how long it took you to report this out because there's so much going on here
1: yeah this um so it involves two neighborhoods, North Tabor and Rose City Parks neighborhoods. And um, starting in March of this year, there was an incident where a stranger was um, messing with the window in the middle of the night of a Mm -hmm. home and entered the bedroom of these two young girls, 12 and 13. Um, He was about to reach up and touch uh, the 13-year-old who was on a loft bed And uh, she got awake and and, uh, texted her dad in another room uh, that there was a strange man in her bedroom. And um, by the time the dad got there, uh, Mm -hmm. the guy had left. And he, uh, so the dad calls 911, police arrive, they, you know, dust the window for prints, they they take a report, they um, do a, forensic sketch but apparently didn't look like the guy who came through the window and um that's all he heard from police for for many months and they would still uh get a sense that someone was messing with the window outside or on their property in the middle of the night and and he didn't know but um there were other residents in those neighborhoods that were experiencing similar occurrences. They they didn't have anyone enter their homes, but they had young women who would see the strange man outside outside their windows masturbating in the middle of the night and, and staring at them in their bedrooms. Um, and so they would report it to police or file online reports with the Bureau, and they didn't know. They thought they were alone. They didn't know this was happening elsewhere in their uh, residential neighborhoods, and it took months um, for them to realize that uh, that th- they were not alone, that there was mm-hmm. uh, a, apparently a serial stalker, and, and, uh, and each of the neighbors would try to, you know, they put up security cameras, and they went to really remarkable lengths to try to figure out who this guy was, um, and those accounts were really... Um, remarkable to me, uh, you know. It was, a, it was a single mother, fifty years old, who would spend her summer nights going on nightly patrols in her neighborhood with a with this flashlight that doubled as a taser and sometimes her her garden shears, uh, just to check that this guy wasn't uh, around her home, which was pretty crazy. So um, I spoke to like. Several of the neighbors and they each had, you know, they had video, some of them had video um, security footage of of the guy who they caught outside their home. Um, And some of them had, you know, full uh, incident logs of what night, what happened what night and what time. So it took a little it took a um, couple of weeks to um, put that all together.
0: So, Max, how did we get to this point where we have, you know, citizens, you know, neighborhood watches aren't unusual, that that's something that's been around for, you know, decades, but where we have people kind of serving as uh, neighborhood detectives, uh, how did we get to that point here in Portland?
1: Well, I heard from all the neighbors, um, excuse me, that, you know, they were just frustrated by the either the slow response by police or lack Mm -hmm. of a response. And some of this, you know, happened over the summer months, and they all heard that um, the reason uh, police couldn't get out there as quickly or couldn't uh, dedicate time to it was because officers were drawn to um, coverage of the uh, nightly protests that were occurring in the city. Um, And... As I reported the story out further, I learned that there was only one burglary detective for the entire city um, this summer. And that's in a city that had more than five thousand burglaries reported in a year in the past year. And so wow. it was it was it was an impossible um, for one investigator to handle. This amount of burglaries, and and you know many pointed out it's not necessarily that this case was a many of the complaints that the stranger hadn't entered the home, so wouldn't necessarily be classified as a a burglary. But police said you know they've they're short staffed, they've uh, faced millions of dollars of budget cuts uh, this fiscal year, and they've you know struggled to respond. And how to respond to the nightly protests. And there's also been a record number of retirements in the police bureau. In August, I think there were 40, 43, um, which wow. was more than, you know, past years. And, and that was in one month. Um, and there's a, another wave of retirements expected in. January
0: So there's a lot of factors happening yes. at once here but you know how did we get to the point where there are just you know I believe you reported 77 detectives in the Portland Police Bureau overall I mean that that's uh, something that doesn't really have a ton to do with the nightly protests right
1: right but they I mean they were up in the past years at 90 um, mm-hmm. detectives and just 10 years ago they had a burglary task force with just 12 detectives assigned to burglary and, uh, assigned to, you know, go after serial burglars to stop, you know, the, the people who are causing, um, you know, prolific crimes, committing prolific crimes.
0: So this, um, pretty unbelievable story, um, in Northeast neighborhoods in the North Tabor and, and, um, Rose city park neighborhoods, it's not an anomaly, right? There are other examples that you've reported on this year that are pretty dramatic as well of officers not responding um, as quickly as they historically have to calls. Uh, could you talk a little bit about one of those incidents? It was Henry, uh, It was a Kareem um, and his son?
1: Yeah, that was um, in August, in late August. He He had ducked out of his Southeast Portland apartment uh, to get something out of his car. And in that moment, uh, some stranger rushed into his uh, ground floor apartment and uh, closed the door. And inside the apartment was his 12-year-old son alone. And so the father dashes back to the apartment and tries to get in. And Mm -hmm. uh, he confronts this man who's now in his kitchen and... The stranger grabs a kitchen knife and um, kind of lunges at the, the the dad and runs out. And he, call he you know, bangs on neighbors' doors to call 911. Multiple neighbors call 911. He, uh, the, the poor 12-year-old, you know, was frightened and ran. He said he ran out around the block and just took off and was scared. It was scared and obviously uh, and the neighbors all um kind of cornered the suspect he had apparently been knocking on other people's doors acting oddly outside their uh units and so a number of neighbors are calling 911 and corner the guy and have him on the ground and uh police didn't respond for an hour and 36 minutes um, which was infuriating to uh, to the residents, to the dad. They had the guy, and they actually like held him, um, kept him, you know, cornered mm-hmm. for a mo- for nearly an hour, I believe. And uh, but they couldn't stay there all all day. And and by the time an officer uh, arrived, you know, he was gone. So. Uh, that was disturbing, obviously.
0: Yeah, obviously disturbing. And I would imagine that, um, you know, in the nexus of priority calls, that would have been pretty high up on a, we got to respond to this as soon as possible.
1: Yeah, even the, uh, it it ended up being like a canine police officer who was coming back from a call and saw, that this emergency call was still waiting and had no response. Who put himself onto the call? I mean, he got there much later, and I and I spoke with him, and he he was he was disturbed. You know, he told me that he's been here 17 years on the job, and he he's never heard of anything like that. Having um, that, he was stunned. No officer had been available to send to an emergency call of this magnitude. And said it should have been an immediate dispatch. Weapon and a child involved.
0: What's been the reaction from other rank and file members of the bureau, or just the general public, to, to your reporting on these these stories and the the lack of response?
1: I um, I'm hearing from others who have had uh, who are relating similar um, frustrations on other types of um, quality of life type crimes where they're not Mm -hmm. getting any um, response from police. Um, You know, I covered earlier this year, there was a shop owner, um, like a sandwich shop owner on the park blocks uh, who had, you know, the business was closed, but someone um, fired shots through the front window. And this was during one of the evening protests where statues were toppled on the park blocks. And he got out there that night and called um, police and they didn't respond. I mean, there was a lot going on, but they didn't respond till like hours later the next day. Um, But I'm hearing from others with who have similar anecdotal experiences of having to wait for police. Um, But I did hear from these neighbors in uh, who were directly impacted in uh, North Tabor and mm-hmm. uh, Rose City Park, and they said they, they, they've, since the story ran, the deputy DA has set up a meeting with them. So they're kind of buoyed by that and hopeful.
0: Have you seen anything like this before, Max, in your um, lengthy career covering uh, public safety and police bureaus in terms of you know (laughs) the lack of response
1: no no i think um you know the bureau does have a staffing shortage um they've had two chiefs uh this calendar year but you know three different chiefs in the last uh year um and a lot of officers who you know they hit 25 years if they're 50 years old, they're leaving the Bureau, they're retiring right away, um, and they're not hiring, so the, there's vacancies and they're facing budget cuts. Um, so, no, they're, they're facing a lot of challenges, and obviously, uh, there's a whole different climate uh, with the, uh, this year's social justice movement in the wake of George Floyd's killing. Um, So there's, you know, intense scrutiny of the police. Um, You know, this year they were supposed to be completing this compliance with the uh, federal settlement agreement with the U.S. Department of Justice. But as a result of um, their activity this summer, they haven't they were not in compliance. They weren't tracking use of force used uh, appropriately. Uh, from all the activity this summer during the uh, downtown protests
0: yeah, during during your uh, response there i had to look it up to re- see when chief outlaw left and right it was between christmas and new year's last year right, right. so it was it wasn't in in the 2020 calendar year right but it right. feels like it was but I know. um what a year um let's take a break and come back and talk a bit more with max bernstein When you look back on this year, um, what are your takeaways? Uh, have you had a year that compares to this in, in your career covering, uh, the Portland Pier- police bureau? And then what, what do you think about when you look back at, at, uh, 2020?
1: Um, you know, there's been years with some high profile police shootings that have taken, uh, a lot of, that have drawn a lot of attention and rightfully so, um, but this year, uh, you know, I don't, you know, police say they've never seen anything like it. Um, it's just been sort of a fire hose of news with the with the protests, the budget cuts, the um, you know, wildfires, even with local mm-hmm. firefighters helping out, um, uh, and now, you know, a uh, barricaded occupation in a North Portland neighborhood. <laughs> It's, yeah, it's, it's been constant and uh, never-ending.
0: Yeah, and by the time folks listen to this, that may or may not have um, been resolved in some way or another. We're unclear as of this recording Friday morning. Um, what are you hearing uh, from rank-and-file officers? I mean, can you speak at all to what morale is like and what their concerns are and what they're thinking of right now?
1: Um yeah, I hear that they don't feel supported. Uh they're frustrated by the political leadership in the city. They feel um like they're put in a, you know, no-win situation. Well, you know, while they're they're uh criticized for their slow response times and yet they're facing budget cuts and have to reduce staff. There are some Young officers, you know, mid career officers who are applying elsewhere. You know, I know uh, several have applied to Hillsborough Police, and others are following um, a retired assistant chief who went to Boise as chief. They're following him there. So I'm hearing a lot of officers are, um, you know, reevaluating their work in Portland and are, are um, considering careers in other, for other police agencies.
0: Uh, Chief Chuck Lavelle had emphasized community policing as a key to his approach going forward. Um, Is that, uh, how is that effort going?
1: You know, I think the police bureau has been just reactive the whole year. I don't think they've had a chance to formulate, you know, a vision and move ahead to how, you know, to to fulfill his vision of community-based policing. They have a unit uh, of community engagement, Office of Community Engagement, but I just heard two officers in that unit are leaving. Um, So, you know, I, I think the Bureau is, hasn't, has been reactive and is still reactive to each crisis and incident and is sort of trying to stay um, ahead but really hasn't had a chance and under the current leadership hasn't yet been able to make significant changes. So, I, I mean, the big thing is their lack of trust the community has in the police and, uh, I don't know, there might be, you know, behind the scenes, a lot of community, uh, relationships that are there and I will continue, mm-hmm. but, uh, a lot of that is frayed and I, I haven't seen, uh, improvements this year.
0: Do you have any sense that there's been any reflection from the Bureau's perspective of, you know, maybe we need to do things pretty differently?
1: I, I think they, um, yeah, I think the, I think the top commanders recognize there's this is sort of a time of reckoning. They need to rethink, but I don't think they've really had the chance to. They're figuring out right now how to fill vacancies in patrol shifts and reorganizing the bureau and taking detectives, um, taking officers from traffic and canine, I understand, uh, and some narcotics to fill patrol shifts to reduce overtime. So I think. All you know, right now they're in the the reactive mode. So right. they haven't had time to be proactive and visionary.
0: Yeah, and, and also transit police, right? PBV uh, is no longer going to be participating in the transit police. So um so the, there's a lot of priority setting that needs to happen going forward in terms of not only what's the role of the police, but also how do they respond to and investigate crimes like the like uh, the ones uh, that you reported on in the stalking case in Northeast Portland?
1: Right. And there's also, I mean, this year has had um, an increase in shootings and homicides. Uh, you know, there's, I think, 40 plus homicides uh, in 2020. And uh, it's a year also that saw the elimination of the gun violence reduction unit, which were officers who were who would respond to all these shootings and investigate. So, um, you know, that's been a huge challenge for the Bureau as well.
0: What else are you going to be tracking uh, as we, you know, we've also had to been to be reactive to <laughs> name the crisis. We've had to respond to it and be reactive to it. But what else are you going to be tracking going forward into 2021?
1: 2021, I guess, I mean, looking closer at uh, Chief Chuck Lavelle and, and uh, you know, how he's able to lead the Bureau, what, what, his, what he's accomplished, um, what his goals are. Um, and uh, also in uh, February, uh, the city will and police Bureau will be back before federal judge Michael Simon to um, evaluate where the city is in compliance with, uh, the federal settlement agreement, which will be interesting.
0: And do so you have a sense of whether we have some stability at the top? I mean, is chief Lavelle seem like he's in it for the long haul?
1: I think he, I think he is, yeah, committed to it. Um, it'll be interesting to see how this year impacted him or his first six <laughs> months, but, uh, I think he is. I mean, it's no secret that the deputy chief has been, uh, Has his resume out and is a finalist uh, in Wisconsin a police agency there. Um, So there's a lot of change, and I I don't think that's going to stop.
0: Does the bureau have a formal um, recommendation to the public, like of when you should and shouldn't call nine one one, given kind of what the response times that you've reported on? Do we? Have any guidance to listeners about hey, this is when you should or shouldn't call nine one one.
1: Well, the neighbors uh, of these two res- uh, neighborhoods were telling me that they, you know, if a suspect wasn't wasn't present at that moment, they didn't need to call nine one one. If uh, they didn't know or have a name or could identify the suspect, they could. Call non-emergency or follow an online report. I mean that that wasn't satisfactory to to the to many, and I don't think the police even uh, want that. But um, that was the reality.
0: Um, it's not very satisfying when you have um, children in your house uh, and someone uh, outside their window, no, or inside, I mean, or inside their house.
1: No. The, the interesting part of it was also the. the the, the extent these residents went to try to identify this stranger who, who was terrifying them and uh even figured out who he was and tracked him down i mean they did surveillance and then uh did there's a, a lot heist. of
0: courage there's a lot of courage involved there right yeah
1: it's i mean it was crazy i mean there's you know one woman on her own is uh following him outside a plaid pantry and videotaping just to get daytime footage of him. And then later, uh, the original, the, the father of the 13-year-old and some of his friends tracked this guy down and learned he had a warrant from January for public indecency, failure to appear warrant. And they chased him in, in a car and alerted police. And they thought, uh, oh, finally, the guy's in custody uh, he'll face charges from all the complaints that they had been filing with police, but he was out, uh, you know, about 11 hours later, and he wasn't charged with any of their, in any of their cases, which just, you know, that was really devastating to them.
0: Yeah, I'm wondering when you think back on it, what does that particular case and this this disturbing instance say to you about the importance of a police force in general and detectives and then just, I guess, about communities uh, because it's also like a community story of uh, neighborhoods looking after each other.
1: It tells me the system's broken. Uh, You know, I spoke to a a criminology professor and he said, um, what police don't understand is there's a psychological penalty being placed on the people of this community and it's destroying their quality of life. And, you know, these aren't, some of the residents said uh, their friends sometimes would would shrug and say, well, you know, it's not a violent crime. But, my gosh, it, you don't know what this person is capable of. And it was occurring repeatedly. It wasn't an isolated incident. He, incidents. he had a history of this type of behavior um, mm-hmm. elsewhere in Florida before he came to Oregon. It's just, you know, these are the types of everyday quality of life matters that really could put puts people on edge. That that's, you know, you want to be able to call someone and if there is a pattern to recognize that and be able to investigate it. I mean, here the residents had to do the police work themselves.
0: Well, thank you so much for your dogged reporting on this and to those uh, community members for sharing their story. Thank you. Thanks for listening to Beat Check with the Oregonian. I shared a link to Max's story in the episode notes. If you value our journalism, stories that take time and resources to investigate, please subscribe to the Oregonian and Oregon live by visiting OregonLive.com slash subscribe. And if you like this podcast, tell a friend and leave us a rating and review in Apple podcasts, help spread the word until next time.